everyone. It's uh, Zach Fulginetti back again, and uh, I'm excited to be with you guys this week. We've been celebrating 25 years with Campus Outreach Charlotte and talking to some of the people that have been significant influences and contributors to this ministry over the past 25 years. And this week, here with my good friend, Tim Bird. Tim, say hey, man. Hey, how you doing, Zach? You guys hanging in there during quarantine? We are, man. We are. We're doing pretty good. We are back in the United States from Lusaka, Zambia. We've been here for almost two months. Um, so we're in uh, South Carolina right now, awaiting our fourth child in the middle of a pandemic. So there you go. We're good. Good, man. Uh, I know it was kind of crazy in that time where you're wondering, do we go? Do we stay? Been all right for you guys? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it was the right decision on, on multiple levels. You know how you, you think you're making a decision for one reason and then it turns out there's actually multiple things that, um, that God is at work in. And, uh, so I, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's been good for us to be here. Uh, good, man. yeah. Tell us about your family a little bit, wife, Naya and kids. Yeah. So, um, my wife and I, we met at UNC Charlotte, um, 2000 and we debate about that. She says three, I say two, but Hey, you know, um, <clears throat> maybe I remember that earlier and she doesn't even remember me at all, but yeah, so we've been married for about 10 years now and, um, both of us military brats. So we grew up on military bases throughout the U S and Europe. And so that really did help us a lot when we got married, I was already living overseas and she just joined me. We have three kids, uh, all born in South Africa. And uh, the oldest is nine. And then we have a seven-year-old and then a five-year-old. And then we have now one on the way. First American-born baby on, on American soil coming August 22nd. So we're excited about that. So, yeah. Good, man. Congratulations. Um, tell us a little bit, like, what, what have the birds been doing during quarantine, man? Oh, man. It's... Uh, <laughs> surviving man living off of uh amazon mostly and <laughs> ordering groceries offline i mean you know um so it's interesting like we we were we came about three days we decided okay it's probably best for us to go to the u.s so we booked the last flight that delta had coming out of south africa and uh we booked that in three days later uh, we left and uh landed in the u.s without any luggage that was lost. Not that we didn't bring any, it got lost. Um, so we've been here for about 60 days with no luggage, living, you know, basically clothes to clothes, wash to wash. And so uh, it's been a unique time for us because we're just kind of figuring out we're not in our own space. You know, we're living with family in their home and they just moved to this home as well about three months ago. Um, and so uh, it's just been a unique kind of time. We spent two weeks in quarantine in Atlanta. Um, at a friend's house, uh, actually a church, a member of a church that we didn't know uh, allowed us to stay at the house. They supported us. So they stayed at that. We, let, they stayed, we stayed at their home and that was amazing. Church was amazing. And, um, but it's just been a unique time. Just trying to figure out, uh, find our feet. Now we're in South Carolina, trying to find our feet. Kids are in homeschool. We had to buy new homeschool material. Um, so yeah, literally we've been shopping and living online, like uh, and it's been, it's been, it's been a blessing because God has just uniquely provided for us. And, but you realize what you need and what you don't need real quickly. 
when you pack your essentials and they're lost. So it's like, okay, my essential essentials are now this, you know, so, but it's been fun with family, uh, cousins, sister-in-law, father-in-law, mother-in-law. So it's been a blessing to kind of be here um, working while the kids are in homeschool. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's been good. All right, man, I got to ask, I know that you've watched a little bit of the MJ Bulls documentary, The Last Dance. Yeah, you an NJ guy or LeBron guy? Who are you taking? Okay. Uh, that's that's <laughs> that's a no-brainer for me. But I got to give you a little backdrop. Here's why I'm biased. Okay. No, it's, as I pro- you probably won't even believe me. So, like, <clears throat> growing up, my, when, my, when my mother and her family grew up, there was always this kid from Wilmington who would come stay with my, my, my great aunt every summer to play in a baseball league. And so they became really good friends growing up. So uh, this kid was Michael Jordan. So when he went to Chapel Hill, uh, my mom and the whole that whole side of the family became Carolina fans because they were Michael Jordan fans. Uh, And so uh, when he went to the Bulls, he flew my aunts and cousins up to Chicago and they saw his apartment, the same one that that was on the video that he was cleaning and stuff like that. They they became really close. I mean, I didn't know him, but so anyway, long story short, that I had no choice but to yeah. be a Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls fan my whole life. Yeah. And so it, obje- even objectively, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, I mean, it's it's kind of like I used to tell people, but it's kind of like you know what? Who's why would they believe? You know, like yeah. it doesn't even matter. Uh, but since you asked, I'm like, yeah, so that really, you know, that's how my family grew up. Carolina fans through and through, uh, Chicago Bulls fans, and obviously Michael Jordan fan. And so, but if I were to, if I had to take between, uh, if I had to pick between LeBron and MJ, I mean, come on, man. MJ is so <laughs> cold, bad. man. Yeah. I, I, watching the documentary, I, I thought to myself, I think this guy gambles so much and like does all these sporting things because. What it does is it puts pressure on him all the yeah. time. Yeah. And then, and it doesn't really matter because I don't think he cared about the money, but he, there was this pressure that was put on him that by the time it, when he did, when it did matter, he was just used to having the pressure on him mm-hmm. every day, all day. And I'm like, maybe, okay, that's my little assumption. But I think, yo, this dude is definitely the GOAT. There's no question. Yeah. LeBron is a beast. Uh, but uh, his, his ability, what he did on the court, man, nobody can. No, no, not anytime soon. I don't think so. You and I are about the same age, so we probably just grew up watching MJ. And oh. for me, it's just, man, I hadn't forgotten how great he was, but it's been so fun to relive it. Just uh, yeah. reminding myself of, you know, I think I was eight or nine years old when he first retired. I remember that. I remember watching the 98 finals and just how it incredible of a basketball player he was and you kind of lose that over the course of a couple decades and man it's been really fun to relive kind of your childhood idol so to speak at least in terms of a athletic sense there's there's just no one that can compare to him no especially on the court man when you i mean even beyond the court what he did for the game uh, what he did for the the almost hip-hop culture and all that culturally all that he did a lot. For, even for the U.S., he did a lot. Yeah. You know, uh, but when I think about his his game, just his game. I'm a, I love basketball. Grew up, you know, playing ball. 
But when I think about his game and watching his tapes now, I'm thinking to myself, the shots that he was taking then, people are only starting to do now. Like the reverses, the the dunks, the crossovers. I, Iverson took it to a whole nother level. But I mean, his game in the '90s was too early. Like it was. It's just I'm just watching. I'm like, nah, man, cats. They, the stuff that he's doing in these games back in early 91, 92, 89, I'm like, no. Oh, he's a freak. <laughs> no, it's too bad. I mean, late, late 80s, early 90s, MJ just flew, and he could do things that, that no one else could do. Oh, it's been fun, man, uh, reliving that. Um, I, I'd love to get into kind of your story, man, and mm-hmm. you're a, a graduate of UNC Charlotte. Why, why don't you share a little bit about uh, – how you came to faith and, and how you got involved in the ministry of campus outreach. Okay. So yeah, I came to UNC Charlotte really struggling. Um, my parents had um, been stationed back in, I mean, we were in Germany for six years. My parents were stationed back in the U S we got moved to Fort Lee, Virginia. And uh, that was my senior year. And I left a place where I was pretty well known for sports and just my, had a big family. They were well known, but um, I was just ready for a new space. I needed something different. Uh, and I was, I needed something different because I realized the life that I lived in wasn't satisfying. It was not satisfying. All the things that I had gained and accolades and things like that, I just wasn't satisfied. Um, so going, moving back to the U.S., uh, moving to Virginia, a place I'd never been, it was a difficult transition for me. And I realized even more that I needed something more. So by the time I got to UNC Charlotte, um, God had really, really begun to, to work in my heart. Um, and the Holy Spirit was convicting me over sin that I um, that I was living in. And growing up in the church, I, I knew that I was sinning, but my flesh was okay with it. But I was slowly beginning to realize this wasn't bringing me life. But I didn't know, ironically enough, I didn't know how to become a Christian. How do you not know how to become a Christian when you're you grew up in the church? Because it was a cultural thing for me, man. It was a tradition, you know, in a sense where that's just what we did. So my freshman year, um, I had just broke up with my girlfriend, and I went to Utah. So if anyone's listening to this, you ever heard of Utah at UNC uh, Charlotte? I was there, uh, Monterey Academic Program. You go there for the summer. You spend about two months there, getting prepared to go to. Uh, to university and I went there and um, God just, I was just broken. My roommate was, a, his name was Bernard Whitfield. He's passed away now. He was a Christian. Well, he's uh, telling me about his faith and always playing this Grego Quinn. And I'm like, man, I just got, I just got my goodie mob. I got all my, my albums, my CD. I do not want to hear Grego Quinn. I told the storm. Okay. Like, that's not what I'm here for. You know, put, you know, I would get up before him and put my, um, my JD kiss in before him or something like that, you know, and he'd be like, Hey, this dude. But every day I, I just would listen to his music and ask him questions and, and just realize this dude is talking about something I'm not talking about. Um, he's, he's listening to things. That's just not, even though I grew up in the church, I, I didn't think that was cool, man. And I, I remember before the summer ended, I was getting up still before him putting in Greg O'Quinn. He's like, bro, I got another album if you want to listen to something different because I'm tired of Greg. I'm like, hey, because it was just it was just stirring my soul, man. And 
anyway, I went back home. Some things happened that summer and I just realized, let me say this, that, you know, I literally said this to myself. I was like, I'm not a Christian. And if I go to hell, if I die right now, I'm going to hell with gasoline draws on. Um, you know, that's literally what I said. It's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to burn badly. And I'm going to be eternally separated from God. But I can't, I, ha- I acknowledge that, but I also acknowledge I'm not a Christian. I can't keep saying that I'm a Christian because I'm disrespecting God. I didn't know what else to say, but I knew it was like disrespectful. I was like, that's not real. I went back home. I broke up with my girlfriend. I said, look, I got to work on my relationship with God. And you and I, we're doing things that's not honoring to God. So we can't be in a relationship together. Um, and then I went back to UNC Charlotte, started my freshman year. But the very first day before campus opened, the old week happened, uh, orientation week, a week, wow, that happened. I ran into some campus outreach guys and I heard them talking about a Bible study. So I took their numbers because I was trying to get right. You know what I'm saying? So I took their numbers and I wrote them down and said, yo, I'm going to call you guys because we need to get in the word together. And that's not normal <laughs> in a sense. So, you know, campus outreach where someone is coming up to the, the leaders who are overheard plotting how they're going to reach first years, freshmen. So I took their numbers and I went to church that next day and I went to the church with all my friends who I was like sitting with while and out. I was just at a party with them the, that night before probably. And, uh, but it was culturally good for us to go to church. So I went and I had already thought I was a Christian at that time uh, because I was trying to get my life right. And I remember the pastor saying, does anyone want to get, you know, anyone need prayer or do anyone want to become a Christian? I was like, I'm good on the Christian part, but you can pray for me because I'm still trying to work some stuff out. And when I went up there, I, I, no joke, man, I, I, um, I began to think about my whole life and all the sin that I was doing. And I just realized this is empty and I need more. And it just became clear to me I needed Jesus. I literally broke down. I cried in that church. I was sweating. I was crying. I was like a big baby, man. It's not, it was nasty, bro. It was, it was, it was bad. It was like one of those things you hope nobody recorded in the sermon because I was just gone, shirt wet. But I didn't care because I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it because I can't live like this anymore. I can't live this life of trying to be um, everything that everyone wants me to be, but feeling empty when I do it. I need something more. And I said, I needed Jesus. And so, and God, it just became real to me that I can't do this apart from Christ. And he died for all of that, which I, I no longer want. And from that moment on, uh, I just started walking with God, man. And, and those same guys that I, I got their numbers from, they, one of them actually lived on my floor. He was my RA. And so he's like, I remember you. I was like, yeah, man, I'm sorry I lost all your numbers, though. Uh, and he was like, yeah, well, there's a guy here who plays baseball. He's going to lead a Bible study. Interest. I was like, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, something like that happened in 2000. And, yeah, just that's the first time I really got connected with Campus Outreach, the first couple of weeks at UNC Charlotte. Awesome, man. So you are involved in the ministry through the rest of your time in college. What, what were some of the challenges, man, for you just being involved in the ministry as an um, 18-year-old, 19-year-old student who just come to faith? Mm. Okay. Besides, beside the music, uh, <laughs> I had never heard of that type of music that, that we listened to all the time. So it was just weird. I was like, and what music was that, man? So there was a guy called Shane, Shane Bernard. <laughs> I used to just call him St. Bernard. That's what yeah. I called him. 
I was like, oh, St. Bernard, that's great. Uh, but everyone was like this cool guy that everyone listened to. And I'm like, I don't know what y'all listening to. Y'all ain't got no Kirk Franklin. Y'all ain't got, you know, that I was just like, you know, give me some, you know, Fred Hammond, something. But uh, besides the music, yeah. uh, there was, uh, it was different. It was difficult at, at times because, the, so let me say this. The easy part was because the guys in my Bible study were already my friends. I grew up in a culture, a diverse culture, diverse background. So the military background, your friends were your friends. It didn't matter where they came from. I had Filipino, uh, you know, Latino, uh, African, uh, American, African. It didn't matter. Like, if we was cool, we was cool. But coming to the South in the United States, particularly on the campus, it was different. And it took me a while to get to that place where I could see, like, man, white black people just didn't always roll like that. And I'm like, wow. I mean, when we were in, in Europe or on a military basis, especially in Europe, though, um, I mean, obviously you had white people and black people and different people hanging out. But, like, it didn't really matter as much um, because we were Americans. And that's what we had. We had each other. And, um, and it was okay. It was cool with all that. But like when we moved back to the U.S., I could see there were some tensions between white and black people. Uh, but for me, when I just became a Christian, <clears throat> I didn't care. I was like, look, uh, I'll be around anybody who's going to help me grow spiritually. Uh, but that being said, it was a challenge uh, because culturally there are some things that my friends were used to. I was the only black dude in the Bible study. Maybe there were three black people in the whole ministry at the time. And that was it was a it was a growing ministry, over 60 people, pretty easy. Um, and they were highly connected on the soccer team and the basketball team. Joby Thompson was there. Joby Thomas was there. Uh, uh, several soccer players were on the, you know, involved with the ministry at the time. And baseball player, it was it was booming. But still there's only like three black people. Two of them, three of them were freshmen, and there's like maybe an older guy. Yeah, Andre, who played baseball as well. So um it wasn't a lot of us. And just culturally, I found myself struggling to fit in, not because I wasn't used to white people, but because I was used to a culture that everyone was appreciated and valued and what you could bring, we could adapt. And it wasn't just one way. It was more popular culture, but it was, it was, and I couldn't understand that until later on as I got, you know, after, toward the end of my freshman year, like, yo, why is this all one-sided? Like, it's just like, just their thing. And so I can, I can remember just thinking I was I was swallowed up as, a, as an African-American in, in the ministry. And um, and culturally, I, I could see that the things that I enjoyed or appreciated or valued weren't weren't really valued or appreciated. Um, now, that being said, what kept me there was my friendships and ultimately the, the love for Christ that we all had together. And so I didn't I didn't I didn't have a mission to be like, OK, I'm going to change all these people so that they can appreciate what I appreciate. I was just like, look, I'm going to listen to what I listen to. Y'all listen to what y'all want to listen to. Uh, I'm going to listen to St. Bernard when we do the worship, and then I'm going to go ahead and put my headsets back on get back to my Fred Hammond. And, and that was it. But I began to grow and understand their culture was different, and I appreciated it. I did like it, and it was okay with me. And I, I listen to a lot of Shane and Shane now, uh, but back then it was it was challenging, man. Um, yeah. I, I'll say it, say it like that, you know, just when you're bringing, especially when there's so few African-Americans, you don't feel the need to uh, 
to be sensitive to those few. Because you, when you're the dominant culture, you're already saying, well, they're here because they want to be here. You know, and so there's so many of us. Why will we change just for the few? Or why will we be sensitive? I mean, that's, uh, but I still think, you know, with the challenges, there was a lot of sensitivity. The campus director was Corey Thompson at that time. He was a beast, loved the dude. Joe was around. Uh, he was usually on campus. And so my, my D group leader never invited me to a campus meeting until about halfway in the semester because of this reality. I didn't even know. Put it to you this way. I didn't even know Campus Outreach was an organization, literally, no joke, until I was coming back from the gym and I heard like worship music, the same music that the guys in my Bible study listened to. So I'll walk into the cafeteria by, by Moore Hall and I'm like, why everybody I know up in this meeting singing these songs and I ain't here? So I, I got my ball in my hand, my gym shorts on, cut off tank top, and I see my uh, Bible study leader up front. I'm like, let me go change real quick. Everybody in my Bible study here. And I, I, I showered and I caught the end of it. And I'm like, yo, bro, why didn't you tell me that y'all had this thing going on? He's like, he just laughed it off. Like, nah, don't, don't worry about it now. Don't worry about it. I'll tell you later. I'm like, Handy, what's up? And he's like, nah, don't worry. Don't worry about it. The coolest dude for real on the, on the, on the corridor. So later on, he told me, he's like, I just wanted to be sensitive to you because there's a lot of stuff that I just didn't want you to, I didn't want to overwhelm you. And I could see the wisdom of what he was saying in that moment. But I was thinking, bro, I'm around, I grew up in a culture that wasn't just my own. I grew up in Germany, you know. Uh, but looking back, he knew something about the South that I didn't really know. He knew something about the ministry even that I didn't really know. And um, yeah, it was helpful. It was helpful to see that I had somebody in my corner who was willing to, to, to try to think for me and be sensitive for me like that. So those are some of the challenges yeah, early on and trying to progress through some of those things. Um, did help with my D group leaders as they changed. And as my D group and the discipleship group grew, we matured together, man. We learned together. And I began to tell them, man, this is a challenge. Uh, this is a struggle. We need to talk about these things. And so it was, you know, it was good to be able to, to air those things out with them as we matured in Christ. So, yeah. It's been, it's been about 20 years since that time. Um, i say that, that again. <laughs> Sorry that... <laughs> remind you of how old you are and I am, but um, I know that virtually all your time on staff with the ministry of Camp Outreach has been overseas, but how have you seen the ministry um, grow, develop, change, hopefully for the better, maybe maybe for the worse, um, as it relates to becoming a more diverse ministry, becoming more sensitive to um, other cultures and other backgrounds, and even just as an African American man, just what are some of your twenty-year reflections on the ministry and being in the ministry? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, I think when I think about it, there's there's still a tons of room for growth. But I, you know, when I when I when I look and examine all of campus outreach, not just Charlotte, but if I look, because now I'm connected to east to west coast, you know, I'm connected to everybody, you know, Brazil, Thailand, because of my role and just how God has providentially placed me, I see more, I hear more, and I don't hear everything, but I see a lot more and I hear a lot more. But I, I would say there's still tons of room of growth for campus outreach in terms of relating and 
and are and engaging um, African Americans or minorities in general. Um, I feel like there is a way that um, we as minorities are engaged now that is different than it was then. There's a lot more leadership um, as campus director roles. And I think that over time that just happened by God's grace, the guys just raising up minorities and to be in places where um, um, you are, y'all about to get my kids, man, uh, where you guys, where, where minorities are, are leaders, leaders and being seen as leaders and valued and appreciated as, as leaders. Um, <laughs> my love. Hold on, buddy. Hello, you boy. Uh, close that door for me, okay, Melo? Um, Quarantine life. That's right. That's right. Yeah, y'all probably meet the other two in a minute. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so African Americans and minorities being seen as leaders, and that for me, that's encouraging. I mean, my man Tony Dimmitt up in Chicago, he's expanding. You know, I mean, obviously, Gijo, he's been there for for a long time. In, in the early '90s, he was overseeing Cabinet uh, Reach and Greenville. Now he's in San Diego. Um, you got Denny Calado in, uh, excuse me if I pronounce his name wrong, but in, in Memphis, uh, he's, he's, you know, it's just, a, it's encouraging to see and so many others I can't even begin to name right now. So many women, Samantha Roberts, and um, just so many people are encouraging, but it's at the same time, it's like, I think there's, there's some things that we can still grow in and there's still room for growth. Um, that being said, I, I think there's a lot of uh, directors and leaders out there, men and women, who say we need to grow in these areas and we're trying to grow in these areas. I feel like my relationship with you and seeing how you're leading your ministry, Zach, if I'm honest, has just been like encouraging, man. And it really has to see your um, your humility, your desire to see your your uh, minority staff grow and develop. I was talking to Phil just the other day and he's like, yo, my leadership said I need it. Zach says I should, you know, think of, look at these seminary classes. And I'm like, that's great, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, just the encouragement of that because you don't know where it's going to lead afterwards and and your sensitivity to um, the culture. Even the Campus Outreach having the Minority Summit in Memphis every year, like that didn't happen. Um, that wasn't happening when I was coming up. Um, when I first got involved with CO, bro, it was 2000 when John Piper was speaking at the, uh, it was called the New Year's Conference then. Every single nation that Campus Outreach was involved in was there. I remember meeting people from Japan, uh, South Africa. It was before we even really, and every nation, I thought this thing was every year. I was like, this is what I'm talking about. Look at all this diversity up in here. The next year, it was just North Carolina. And I was like, where am I at? I was like, oh, man. You know, (laughs) Clark Atlanta ain't here. Spelman ain't here. You know, I was like, I just realized. (laughs) <laughs> right back to Shady Shane. That's right. Um, just realizing, you know, there's there's diversity out there in different ways, and and it's growing it's overseas, even and and in the U.S. And so, but uh, I, I won't go into specifics, but I do think there are a lot of ways that um, that we could grow as a ministry in this area, and it really comes down to how we train our staff to think and engage um, cultures, how we think and engage. Um, believe the gospel for what it looks like for a community of believers within the church. And as we're reaching them on the campus, what does that look like to display the gospel? Yeah. Um, love people who are not like ourselves. And so, but yeah, it's been great, man. Man, one of the things that's been most encouraging to me of late is what, at least what I sense is a, a very, um, 
a willingness to engage in the conversation. And, um, you know, I think of times where you and I have been driving down to Atlanta and we talk about a lot of things, but you and I aren't afraid to talk about life and ministry and race and ethnicity and the challenges in in our churches and and those things. And as I've talked with some of the the old cats and, uh, you know, Dee and Jeremiah and those guys, it just has seemed as if the willingness and the openness to talk about these, some of these challenges, um, the Lord's just given us a lot of favor with, and not a perfect ministry by any means, but um, I think we're willing to talk about it now. And I think people are more willing to listen. Mm. They want to listen. Mm. We want to know um, some of the challenges that our African-American brothers and sisters face in this ministry. And, and we want to change. Um, to be uh, not as exclusive, you know, you walk into a room and you only listen to Shane and Shane, we're giving Shane and Shane a hard time. They got some good music. I, like I said, I listen to them now, man. So, hey. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, for someone who grew up only listening to Fred Hammond and Kirk Franklin, that, that's a, that's a culture shock right there. And we want to tear down barriers so that people can get to know the person and work of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, I wasn't planning on telling you this, but I, okay. I, I, I think uh, I just want to go on here, man, and just let you know how thankful I am for you and your leadership in terms of kind of leading the global movement and the conversation of diversity. I think of about four years ago now, you sent an email. There was a specific event that happened, and uh, it was an event that I think a lot of the majority culture may not have thought too critically of, but uh, minorities and specifically African-Americans, you sent an email, we're just going to be affected by it. And you sent an email to the regional directors. You remember this? Yeah. And um, man, your, your words of encouraging us to grow in compassion and empathy and understanding, um, they, they really affected me, man. And I think I, I, I've tried to emulate that and I've tried to apply those words, man. So I just wanted to, Thank you for your leadership, your willingness to correct, rebuke, instruct um, some of your uh, majority brothers in this ministry. And I think we're all better for it, man. So I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your your friendship and how you've helped me grow as a leader, as a man, as hopefully a follower of Christ. Praise God, bro. Appreciate that, man. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's what we do, man. And I mean, even as you, you bring that up, you know, I really do think that the environment and culture that we're in it is pushing the ministry to to think and talk about these things a lot more. You know, social media and and the pains of uh, particularly African-Americans or I would say minorities in general, but particularly African-Americans and the history that we have in the U.S. is coming to light for a lot of people. And a lot of people don't know how to respond. They've never heard that these are realities for people that live in their, their hallway on their floors. And now they see it every day on you know Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. And they're watching videos. They never even knew existed. It. Now they're watching videos. I'm like, wow. You know, and so I'm, I'm not saying everything that you see in a video is true. I, I don't know all this stuff, but I do know it happens and it exists. And so even as a ministry, we got to be continue to learn, like you said, to engage and um, and to humble ourselves and to uh, to listen to our staff and 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 their understanding, their experience of life, and how the gospel impacts 
someone in a, in a different light sometimes. Um, the same truth, but the, the implications of that in their life, um, it, sometimes it just comes comes in a different way. How I how I'm how I experienced the gospel and how I grew up, uh, the same truth that you might experience. But when I think about practically what happens when it <laughs> When I live my life, I got to love and the love in a different way. I have to think in a different way. And um, it's, 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 it's unique, man. But yeah. I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for like the, the men that God is raising up, the women that God is raising up uh, who are ready to hear and to speak into these realities and, and to champion uh, those who, who can help create a culture in campus outreach that is, 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 God honoring in all these areas. So, yeah. Amen. So you graduate from UNC Charlotte and the Lord calls you to the mission field, man, to be a part of the new expansion team. You weren't, I don't think you were on the original team, but you came shortly thereafter to be a part of what God was doing in Johannesburg, South Africa. Just tell us about your sense of call as, as a, as a student man and thinking about going to the nations. where'd that come from? And then, um, man, you were you served over there for well over a decade. What, what's some of the legacy that we can look back and see and say, "Wow, Campus Outreach Johannesburg, Campus Outreach in South Africa, this many years in, wow, yeah. you know, here's here's some things that God's done." Yeah, um, I think the the calling really did come from my experience with CO. Um, just the openings, and like I said, I grew up. I was born overseas, grew up overseas. Um, excuse me, became a Christian when I got to UNC Charlotte, but I never married the two. The reality that I could go back overseas simply to proclaim the gospel. The first time I ever heard of a missionary, um, I don't know if you know the book or the movie, but The Color Purple, there was a scene in there where one of the young ladies, the people were moving to overseas to share the gospel. And I was like, what are they? Like, what? We just didn't talk about missionaries in, in, in our church or, or anything like that. And so I was like nine, 10. And so when I went on my first beach project, I think we were at Surfside Prayers and they had all these pictures on the wall of people living, you know, wherever they were living across the world. And I got there early for a team meeting and I was just walking around and looking at all these pictures like, what are these people doing? And I began to realize all these are missionaries living all over the world. That was the first time I really, you know, God really began to press my heart like, wow, like this is. This is, you could go to like Ecuador or something like that. Like, what? Like, just for Jesus? Like, just to go tell people about the gospel? As after my freshman year and and then seeing the CCP team from South Africa, that 2000 team come back, I think guys are trying to sing some of those songs. That was hilarious. Uh, but it's but, still hilarious, man. <laughs> we still try to sing those songs. Y'all, y'all just need to get a videotape at this point and play it. You know what I'm saying? record that joint and upload it. But uh, anyway, that was, it was, it was like dope for me because seeing them uh, go and there was a, like one, I think Terrence Little was the only black dude on that team, if I'm remembering. Um, um, and I was just like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Like, this is, this is something I want to do. At least not like for the rest of my life, but I'm like, I want to go there. I majored in African American African studies, so uh, and in English lit. So that was something I'm already like, 
desirous of. I'm curious about. I want to know about my culture and my people to go there and tell them about Jesus. Whole nother level. So I I went back and uh, I was trying to convince my even before that project. I was funny enough. I was trying to convince my campus director that I should go on a cross cultural project because I heard about those guys going to South Africa. And he's like, why don't you come check out the project first on at the beach? I'm like the beach. I was like, beach or Africa, bro? Come on. And he's like, just, you know, I was like, all right, CT, you're my man. I trust you. And he was right. So I went on two beach projects and then a cross-cultural project. After Where'd you that, work on those projects, man? Kroger, man. Employee of the month once, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I worked at Kroger, man, um, both summers. Um, it was great. And love those stamps. And. I remember Maddie B asking me, what did I want to do with my summer? I said, I, I actually had plans to do some, some study, um, trying to work on a way to get, you know, to graduate school or something. And, and he was like, oh, you want to, I was like, yeah, if you go to Africa, if Africa's on the table, I'd be interested. He was like, yeah, it's on the table, man. I remember just praying about my future and I just realized I just felt a peace about going. I just felt like this is where I should be this summer. I don't know why. I did all the research that I needed for this program that I was in, but I was like, I can't do that. I need to go to South Africa. And I went and went, as soon as I went there, I was just like, this is hard. I don't know why I came. This is, this is ridiculous. I should have stayed in the U S because they want me to stay up all night, do ministry. It wasn't, it wasn't an instant thing. It was more instantly like, this is hard work. This is a lot of work telling people about Jesus. And being a new culture. But before those nine weeks were up, I didn't want to leave campus. Um, I saw two guys profess Christ. And I was just like, God, you are working here, man. And I saw the students growing. I saw the staff team. And I just said, Any, what can I do to be a part of something like this? I said, look, if you guys aren't hiring, I remember speaking to the director, Neil, at the time. I said, if you guys aren't hiring, I looked at his map. I was like, you know anybody else? I heard there's a team in Brazil that, that was hiring too. But like, hey, I just want to be overseas. And um, that was the peace in my heart after that nine weeks. And I went back to UNC Charlotte my senior year and prayed through what to do and spoke to uh, the guy discipling me at the time, Andrew. And I just felt like, man, this is, spoke to my church. Like, this is something I want to do. And yeah, God just kind of laid it on my heart. I didn't know how I was going to raise all that money, though. But uh, it happened, man. And God provided. And I ended up going there. Um, 2000 and like six months after I graduated. So 2004, I graduated. And they're like, you got to raise 100% of your support. I had raised 50% of my support. And they're like, we need you to come now. And I was like, okay. So, I mean, I went for a year on 50% of my support and loved it. I didn't care, man. I was a young dude. I ate eggs and oatmeal like every day, bro. I didn't care. Slept on the floor on a mattress. I didn't care, man. It was it was dope. I was there doing what I love to do. And um You at Vitz? I was at Vitz University. Yep, I was at Vitz and loved it, man. That was where my CCP was, and that's where I was on staff for for years as a staff guy, campus director. Then I became an area director um up until 2014 is when I became the area director. And I, 13 or something like that. And yeah, and overseeing UJ, University of Johannesburg, um, 
Bunting and University of Vitz and watching God do amazing things throughout that time. So you asked about the legacy, man. I mean, I mean, I was just chatting to one of the guys two days ago at my first discipleship group in South Africa. I was chatting to both of these guys. How did you do? How you doing? How's your family? How's how you had in quarantine? You know, leaders, one's a journalist in, in South Africa and the other one's an accountant. We just stay connected. Uh, and just so many stories of God's faithfulness, not only through my life, but my wife's life, um, reaching and discipling women um, for Christ and seeing them grow in the local church. And it's just been amazing. And uh, it's, it's not just me. It's, it's, it's South Africans doing the same thing. They have in their own legacy, their own story, how God has reached them. They came on staff and how they're, they're having seen people graduate, get married. And it's just been crazy. It's been a blessing to see God work in a ministry like that. Tim, the, uh, the ministry in South Africa has changed a lot just in um, the composition of the team. Tell us a little bit, for those who don't know, what was the original team like? And then what does the team look like today? And just what, what, okay. what were some of the challenges of that that those changes? Um, so I wasn't on the original team, but I knew everyone. Um, so I, I did this once in my newsletter. I, I found the first staff picture of uh, the, the first team that went to South Africa. It was like 20 plus people. Uh, Margo, yes, it was the only African-American. So everyone else is white. Um, and Rob, Rob Yancey, uh, Ramargo Yancey was African-American. And then I put a picture of the team currently, which is 2015, 2016 at that time. Everyone else was, there was like five Americans at that time and 20 plus Africans. And so, and three of those Americans were like African-Americans. So there's like, you know, one Afrikaans guy, you know, a white couple. Uh, so it was just crazy. It was just like God had literally transformed the team and making it more indigenous than we could ever think. Now, in between that time, even now, it's even more indigenous. The director is is, is South African at this point. Um, now, they're bringing more American lead staff and things and like that. But it's just crazy. I mean, the area directors, the director, they're all South African. It's dope, you know, to see the transformation. Now, in between that transformation, it felt you know, we felt some scars, man. We felt some, some burning. When you bring cultures and, uh, you know, how do I say it? Like, when you're bringing people in who are strong leaders and you're raising up strong leaders in their own culture and context, you're like, bruh, I wanted to tell you this a long time ago, but now that I'm a little bit older, this thing is not, we can't keep doing this. And just to rub the friction, and some of it was great. Some of it was like what we needed to hear. And um, as, as Americans, but also some of it was just challenging. It was painful. People leaving, um, people not wanting to leave, people not wanting to let go, people letting go. And it was just, it was so hard. Um, it was so hard. And I, I felt like, uh, how how can we do this in a way that that makes the local person feel like this is their ministry without um, losing the DNA and the ethos that we bring as older overseas, you know, American or whatever you came from to that culture. And you, you have to stay gospel centered. 
you have to realize, you know, the things that matter the most, what's primary and what's secondary, what's preferences and what's not. And being able to identify those things, um, it frees up the whole team because everyone knows you're about the gospel. Now you say, listen, we're focused on these things. We make disciples and we can figure those things out culturally, what's appropriate, what's not. Um, but we can flex on everything else. We did, we, it took us a long time to get to that place, like painfully so. Um, and so, but I mean, but God's grace, we're here now. And the, the team there is, is, is beautiful, man. I got a lot of friends. Most of the staff there are so young. I didn't even disciple them. Like my first disciples probably wouldn't even have discipled these guys. That's how young they are. Um, but it's amazing to see how God has raised them up, man. So, yeah. And one of the original visions to plant the team in South Africa was, hey, we want to reach South Africa because it's the gateway to the rest of Africa. So we're not just about Johannesburg, Pretoria. We're, we're not just about South Africa. We, we think this is a strategic place to plant a ministry that would ultimately reach the continent of Africa. And here we are 20 years later, man, and you, you personally are not the sole fulfillment of that, but you're a representation of that, that you're now in, um, in Lusaka, Zambia, serving the Lord. Tell us a little bit just about what was that like for you, man, and, and how was the Lord stirring in your life, in your heart, to leave South Africa, where you'd spent a dozen plus years, your heart had been knit to, to say, I'm, I'm going to take this someplace else. Yeah. Um, so I think around 2010, 2011, my heart really began to grow for the nations. Like I began to think about unreached, unengaged people groups like never before. And um, I just had a desire to see, uh, see our students uh, challenged to that uh, idea of becoming missional, not just in South Africa, but in the world. There's a great need for laborers in unreached places. And I just remember those words you said that we're in a strategic place. We used to say from Cape Town to Cairo, that's what we said. And I'm like, man, Cape Town's looking pretty strong right now. South Africa, if, if Cape Town is, you know, just South Africa, Joburg is looking pretty strong. Pretoria is strong. We got a strong team. Um, <clears throat> we have a lot of leaders. Maybe, maybe we should think about going overseas. Maybe we should think about CCPs. Now we had, we were in a very turbulent time at that point where one of our leaders had just left and we were just trying to find our footing and and be established. And so I just said, you know what, let me park that. Let's just get the ministry strong. And by 2013, 2014, I was like, we're at that place, man. You know, our ministry has too many students to be taking on a leadership project because we have a limited number of people we can take to our projects. It's very challenging. Um, so I asked if I could lead a CCP. I said, oh, somebody because we need to lead a CCP. But I wanted to lead and I ain't gonna lie to you. And so, um, they're like, nah, Tim, relax. We're not at that place. I'm like, come on, man. I'll go on my own then. Let me just do it. I'll do it by myself. I'll raise the funds by myself. That's how bad I wanted to go. And uh, I didn't have the capacity to do it that year. Well, the next year, I said, I'm not going to ask these guys. I said, look, if I keep asking for a CCP, they're just going to think I just want to do my own thing. Because I was kind of the, the renegade dude. So I just sat back. I was like, look, I know we have too many people to take to our project. So they're going to have to figure it out. So I remember one director's meeting. I was just like, and they were doing the numbers, and I was like, yeah, man, it's tough, you know. And uh, Pete at the time was like, uh, well, 
you know, you still want to do that CCP thing? I was like, well, if you want me to, I mean, if that helps, you know, I was already like, yes. Oh, so um, it was dope. I think that was the beginning that they assigned me to kind of look into places that we could go. But our students had already been going to uh, on their own. They were ready to go too. they had been going to Mozambique, Botswana, um, Zambia two or three years before that. And I was thinking, man, we if if we just let a fire on this, put some petrol on this, you don't know where it could go. So that year, I looked into places that we could send a CCP. This was 2015 and ended up going to Zambia where we had a great connection with a church there um, in Lusaka. Uh, we met the pastor in 2010, I did, and, and again at a, another conference in the U.S. And so it was just a natural connection that God had just uniquely provided. So 2015, I led my first CCP from South Africa. It was all South Africans and I was the only American. Um, and it was phenomenal, man. Uh, during that time, I knew we we're supposed to come, uh, come back and we we're supposed to do this full time. I was clear. It was so clear. This is how clear it was for me. I said, because I was a renegade dude, I said, I have to get at least one of the, the regional director or the other area director up here to see what I see, because if they don't see it with their own eyes, they're going to think I'm, um, you know, I'm the passionate dude who just wants to, you know, I was like, no, you gonna have to see it. So I begged and uh, Pete came up. It was so short notice too. He came up and he was like, wow. He could see the ministry that we had done. And like, we're only there for like three weeks. He saw in about a week and a half. And he was like, he saw the campus and he saw the church. And he was like, okay, now this is definitely a legitimate spot. And, and that's when we, you know, we started thinking about the future. And, and God just kind of started opening up doors for us to, to come to Lusaka to go to Lusaka. And that's kind of the, that was the beginning. So, and sorry, at the same time, the church was actually praying for a, a, a campus minister uh, to kind of oversee the work that they were already wanting to start. So they had been doing campus ministry, but they didn't have a clear focus. And so they were kind of everywhere, kind of sporadic doing different events and not sure how to follow up with people. So when they saw our CCP, they're like, wow, how did you get all these people? We had an event at the end of our time and we had everyone. It was like, a, I called it a Coke and a smile. So everyone who came, we bought them a Coke and we, you know, and we sat down with them, had a conversation with, and they came in to, just to kind of observe. And they were like, how did you guys get out? I was like, we just invited them. They were our friends, you know? And so they were like, okay. So at that time they were already interested as well in, in the ministry kind of coming up. And that was just kind of the beginning of it. Yeah. Remember you telling me, and some other people that one of the elders in Lusaka described this as a, a mouthwatering opportunity. And <laughs> yeah, this is awesome, man. So you, when you move and just, you know, wrap up with testimony of God's grace that you've seen in Lusaka. Um, when did we move up there? Are you asking? Yeah. 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 So, we spent, uh, it was a unique season, that transition. We had to come back to the U.S. in 2016. My mom had was sick, so we just abruptly came back to the U.S., dropped everything, came back to the U.S. She passed away in that time. But at the same time, days before we left South Africa, our visas were denied. I was like, we can't, you know, if you leave the country, you can't get back in without a visa. But if you stay, you can sort your visa stuff out. So it was three days. I just came back from Thailand the first day. The second day, our visas were denied. And then we were talking about leaving two days later. 
And I was an elder at my church. I spoke to the other elders. They're like, bro, you just need to go home. See your mom. We'll sort everything else out when when, when you come back. And so long story short, we were denied to even come back to South Africa. So the plan was that we would spend one more year, which would be 2018 in South Africa, building a team of South Africans, primarily me recruiting, raising funds, and then also um, getting a few Americans to join us. And so, but the primary team would be South Africans. But because we were denied entry back into South Africa, we spent the entire year, one, helping my father and my, my, uh, my little sisters, and then also working on visas, trying to get visas to get back into the country. And then finally it just dawned on me. It's like, maybe God just wants us to go straight to Zambia. And that's when, uh, ironically, I sent out an email to all of our supporters and Pastor Conrad, who's my pastor now in Zambia, he emailed me back and said the same thing. Why don't you just come now? And I was like, well, I'm glad you asked. This was a great question. Uh, you guys willing to put in the paperwork so we can come? And he's like, yeah, yeah. So January, uh, the end of 2017, we started working on visas. and But we had no team um, from South Africa. We were the only people who were committed to go at the time. We had spent a, a year away from the main place. We didn't know really anybody in the U.S. that would easily just kind of move to a new country with us. But we knew tons of people who would consider it in South Africa. But that year away was a significant year in the ministry. There was a lot of changes happening. And so um, we actually ended up having three months to transition from the U.S., three months to get all of our things, ship it to Zambia, and say goodbye to our friends who hadn't seen it in a year, recruit if possible, raise funds if possible. None of that happened. But we just... My, my wife, our three kids, we just moved up there, man, and uh, trusted that God would raise up, raise up a team. In that first year, I was literally everything. We had great volunteers, but I was, I was, I was working like a dog, man, just on campus trying to negotiate the churches in South Africa and Zambia, and um, raising funds and leading Bible studies. So I had five Bible studies going on. One was a girl's all-women's Bible study. Um, it was awesome. They were probably my favorite disciples of all time. They were always ready. Um, and yeah, just seeing how God provided and just worked in that first year. And then the next year, he, uh, 2019, you know, two Zambians joined our team. And then a South African came up. And then uh, a young lady, Laquanda, she was in South Africa on a lead project. She joined us. And so our team began to grow. Um, 2019. And so it was an amazing year, challenging, obviously still jumped to the cultural thing because Z- Z- Zambia is very different from South Africa. So I was still learning how to, how to engage this culture. I knew I could, I needed to be sensitive, but I didn't know in what ways. And so it's a big learning curve for me as a leader. Um, but by God's grace, you know, we got through that year and God raised, saw some people come to faith and um, we're in our third year there and God has raised up um, a Zambia and a South African and, and about five lead staff who are, are joining us this year as well, 2021 or the end of this year, whenever the coronavirus stops, uh, we'll be, we'll be lined up, set to go. Um, if you know any area directors who want to join us, this is my plug. So. <laughs> hey man, it's been fun. I love yeah, you, man. bud. And, um, so thankful for you, your friendship, your ministry, partnership. And uh, I'm going to get over there one day, man. I have I have plane tickets booked. I know. I think, I think it's going to get canceled with all this. But 
Um, I at least I at least bought the plane ticket to head <laughs> over there. So I'll get them transferred, and, and we'll uh, I'll get up there sometime, man. Uh, I hope so, man. We really want to have you in our home and in our lives and our ministry. You've been a great friend, Zach, and so we appreciate you. And I'm so glad that you're the director of CEO Charlotte, where I come from, and that's that's where my roots are, man. And I'm grateful for how God has used that ministry at UC Charlotte in so many ways and, and shaped me, all the, the challenging things and, and the good things. It's, it's shaped me and, and to the man that I am, and God can use all things. He is good and he does good. So uh, I want to thank you for continuing on with that, brother. Appreciate you. Amen. Well, guys, thanks for listening. Hope you can join us October 3rd in Charlotte for our 25th anniversary celebration. You can check out more information on our website, coCharlotte.org. Thanks. Thanks.